Well, welcome back, friends, to Track Changes, the official podcast of the very official Postlight product shop, web agency, engineering product management and design firm in New York City. I'm Paul Ford, and I'm here with my co-founder and co-host. Rich Ciotti, you're talking weird. Really? Yeah. I'm just being on, I'm just doing a podcast. It sounds okay, there you go. Now you just really fixed want it. Me to be real chill. There we go. Okay. Well, Rich, um hmm, all right. Is this this good? Mm, this you sound very public radio right now. Oh, God. Just all right. Gina Trapani's on the program today. That's good news. You know, she's an interesting person. I've known her for a while. I knew her when we were baby bloggers in Brooklyn. Really? Yeah, we used to walk around Prospect Park together and talk about the internet. No kidding, like okay. early 2000s? Like in our 20s, early 20s. No, yeah. so that's 1964. No, seriously, that's what, early 2000s? Early 2000s. Wow. Yeah, like the earliest possible days. That's a big deal. So Gina is an old school blogger and programmer. I have this fear. Can I just share the fear? That we are, uh, we're becoming the oldie station of tech podcasts. <laughs> a little bit. And so I just want to be careful with it, and I want to talk about wearables. Okay, let's so talk that, about wearables. So and that we are relevant and modern. The Internet of Things, which probably isn't yeah. even called that anymore. Anyway, let's, let's stop our idle chit-chat yes. and say hi to Gina. Hi, Gina. Hi. Richie, are you going to say hi? Hello. There we go. Thanks for having me. Well, you didn't really have a choice, did you? <laughs> <laughs> because in between the, the 10 weeks of us making a list of people we'd like to have come in and us sitting down and record this, something surprising happened. Something wonderful and surprising happened. Which is that we hired you to work at Postlight. Yes. And this is my first week. That's right. We've already started yes. to exploit you for marketing purposes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. So... Uh, what do we know about Gina Trapani? I know that she was a blogger, and then something magical happened to her in the 2000s, which is that a man named Nick Denton asked her to write some Java code <laughs> to create an RSS-style reading experience called Kinja. That is correct. I remember being really impressed because I was like, you can program Java? And that was the first version of Kinja. If you've been to Gawker... And survived, you might have seen something called Kinja there today. This was a very different. It's still there. It's not this though. This was a very different product, right? But it, they still call they call their commenting system Kinja. What was the first Kinja? Do you remember? Yes, it was a blog reader, and Nick just really liked the name Kinja. And in fact, I was in the conversation. It was four of us sitting on a couch coming up with the name for Kinja. And when someone said Kinja, we all loved it. Wow. I don't know. I don't know. So this he is how technical debt is born. <laughs> I don't believe that one line of code that I actually touched is still in the commenting system, Kinja. Um, but the first Kinja was a blog reading app. And the idea was like if you were too something to not get your own RSS feed up. Because blogs yeah. weren't on like automated platforms like WordPress or... Right, that's right. So they didn't by default have RSS feeds. Yeah, somebody yeah. had to make you an RSS feed. The software did not use the RSS. It used the HTML pages. Actually, very similar to readability. We, we had this giant parser that would pull in web pages, blogs, and then display them very much unlike an RSS reader. Back then, it was like blog lines. Right. was the, you know, that mm. like inboxy kind of feel, like you have this many unread. Kinja was just kind of this stream of 
you know, it was at 37 Signals did the design for it. Whoa. Yeah. I think was, I remember this. Yeah. Well, this was very early. This was the Gawker network was going to expand. It was like just Gawker at yeah. that point and like maybe one or two other sites. It was Gawker and Gizmodo, I believe, yeah. at that time. And they were going to expand and do all this other stuff. I know we are at risk of being the oldest station of the of the podcasting world, but... Uh, you mentioned a product called Readability, which Rich created, which parses the web and makes a nice, clean version of pages. Uh, people compare it a lot to Instapaper or to Pocket. It's in that world. Yeah. And this problem has been there from the very earliest days, is that we make these pages and then we can't really read them or do things with them. Yeah, the semantic web was a dream oh, that, that somebody I know had. Burn that down. But let's let's move on from that. Um, <laughs> so you're you're in there in... In the early 2000s, trying to make a more readable web funded by Nick Denton. And what happened to that? Uh, you know, well, we built it and it mostly worked and it was really pretty. And, um, you know, we, we had like channels, like we called it a mixtape. Uh, it was like a mixtape of blog posts. Like, uh, like, let's see all the blog posts about music. Let's see all the blog posts about movies. Because we had no and... metaphors back then. Oh, it's so funny. The <laughs> terminology is like, is it a channel? Is it a vertical? A is it a channel? It's so just, funny. Yeah, you can debate was, for it hours. It was a stream. We, we were very philosophically excited about the idea of a stream. I remember working on a PowerPoint tech that was exclusively about whether something should be a hub or a portal. <laughs> right, exactly. as in like ninety nine. It's bad days. Anyway, I just just gonna throw out the word Snapchat. Snap, yeah, no Snapchat, absolutely whisper. <laughs> we'll just, yeah, we just have to get keywords in for the transcript so that, right. so that we, Facebook. Yeah. Um, all right, your program in Java. That's and I remember also. I was very. You were like using Eclipse. You were very serious. Oh yeah, Eclipse and CVS. Oh yeah, we were like. We were hardcore. Well, Mark Wilkie, who was the is the recently departed CTO of BuzzFeed, that's right. Buzz actually built worked, that yeah. platform. Yeah, and he was really he's he was and continues to be really a mentor for me. He had this you know whole system, and I came into Kinja as an intern. I think maybe unpaid or very little paid at first. Well, it was the tradition at Gawker um, Media in the early days. Yes, yeah. indeed. Yes, indeed. I just I I had came upon Kinja because back in the that time, the old time, uh, there were a few. New York bloggers, many of whom I really admired, and Meg Hurahan uh, had posted on her blog, Megnot, that they were looking for an intern. And I had met Anil Dash and said to Anil, hey, can you introduce me to Meg because I want to interview for this internship? And they were like, yeah. And I was like so happy to barely get paid uh, sure. because I got to be in a room with these people who were like legends in my mind. That's right. Meg had uh, been one of the people who worked on Pyro, which was the first sort of serious blogging engine. That was Ed right. Williams's. uh company as well and he went on eventually became blogger became blogger and uh blogger was one of the first times that like everything got serious yeah we've had a lot of these where it's like hey we're all kind of fooling around and then like someone showed up and was like yeah we can we can do it this way and everyone can participate yep so kinja launches i remember it wasn't that like the launch was good i remember using it and liking it not fully getting it and then yeah. it just it was one of those products that that didn't thrive in that form. That's right. It, you know, it was a product I was really proud of and we worked hard on and people liked, but people didn't love it. Like people weren't there like checking it every day. Honestly, that was probably a great experience as an intern to know that that pattern exists. Right? Yeah. I always wonder about people who experience success out of the gate because it's incredibly, incredibly rare. It's like, oh, successful people can build things that like maybe aren't, you know, aren't the hockey stick, like aren't a huge splash. Yeah. And that was a really good lesson for me at that point. Um, and so during the course of building Kinja, I was having lunch with Nick, and this was like 2004, and the term life hacks had been uttered By at uh, Danny O'Brien. Yeah, at eTech. 
uh, in San Diego, which was also mm. this I'm like part mythical of that. land. I'm part of that talk. Oh, that's right. You are part of that I have talk. a very... Uh, this is a small world. Yeah. It was, uh, someone wrote me and was like, how do you organize your life? And I sent like a, a screenshot of my text file mm-hmm. that I used. And that was this guy, Danny O'Brien, who we all still know. So he coined the phrase? Yeah. He coined the phrase Life Hacks. It was a talk he gave at eTech. Uh, it was called Life Hacks, The Secrets of Alpha Geeks, something like that. Okay. And Corey Doctorow was in the audience and took notes in a text file, so he which was, is very appropriate. He's, he's from Boing Boing he's and from Boing a Boing. sci-fi author. And, and Boing Boing does this post like, hey, Danny just did this mind-blowing talk about how alpha nerds, you know, script their lives, you know, and they call he called it life hacks. So Nick and I were at lunch. It's such a great term. Yeah, I mean, it, it was. Uh, and Nick said, I registered lifehacker.com. And I was like, it was oh. available? Mm-hmm. And he said, yeah. And I was like... Who are you going to get to write this thing? Because here's like 10 post ideas that I have. Like I, I just – and I just started being like – But you're a programmer, not a writer. You I'm were right, never exactly. assuming that you'd just jump in there and start writing. Oh, no. The idea of being a professional blogger – I mean Liz Spires was doing Gawker at that time. Like she – you know, she was like royalty. Like I would have never. Right. Um, mm. But I was like there's this app that lets you mount your Gmail storage as a drive on your Windows desktop. <laughs> Like, I mean, you know, stuff like that. Like, no, because that's the thing. I mean, when we started hanging out, you're just such a nerd, and it was great. Like, it's so there's, it's hard to find true nerds, you know? <laughs> right. You're, like, you're find, one. Oh, yeah. Deep down, Rich, if you get Rich into a corner, he's also, he's a nerd and a lawyer, so it's a disaster. <laughs> it's a disaster. You'll get excited about, like, some aspect of contractual law, and you'll be like, this is actually really interesting. Yeah, it's terrible. Yeah. It's terrible. <laughs> so anyway... So you are all excited about all these different things. You're like life hacking. I'm gonna. I want to talk to this writer because I got ideas to pitch. Okay, and then Nick went. And then I go, well, you know, do you want to write it? <laughs> I can underpay you. Right? <laughs> hey, why not? <laughs> yeah. And at that time, you know, I was writing my personal blog, which was this very like emo. It was fashioned after a site that I read called F Train. Yeah, right? that yeah. I found. I was just there so were a lot of emotions. By. We were all in yeah, our twenties. We yeah. It was very emotional. Well, it was you know it was like post nine eleven. I'm uh, mid twenties. Like yeah. my friends all just got laid off from their jobs. The city's a really sad place. That's I true. don't know no what's happening. No one had any work in like two thousand two, two thousand three. No, everyone had gotten laid off. Like yeah. I watched my friends I mean, get paused. laid off. And... It's sort of just paused. I made like eighteen thousand dollars. It's worth noting. Dot com blew up about four months. It's like the, the the prior nine months before nine eleven, the whole bubble burst, the whole dot com bubble, like pets dot com and all that bullshit. Mm-hmm. So that so it it had already melted down, and then nine eleven happens, and there was and everybody just sort of yep. dispersed. It, it seemed yep. like everybody paused until about oh three oh it's true oh well, four. What happened really? From what I remember is that the nerd stuck in there because we didn't know what else to do. Right. But everyone who had been attracted to dot coms with like MBAs or like come out of real estate to get into this new exciting thing was they like, bailed. it's done. I'm, yeah. I'm out of yeah. here. You know, and it was this huge bottleneck where like pretty much everyone started to really know each other. Yeah. Like everyone was hanging out and going because you'd want to go like talk about information architecture at somebody's apartment. Yeah. And I'd run into you or we'd run into all, and it was just a tiny little world. And South by Southwest Interactive, anyway, was also yeah. tiny, and everyone knew one another. And and I know this feels like a history lesson, but it's important because it's like you make this transition from programmer to writer, and then you had a pop hit on your hands. Yeah, it was Lifehacker was a runaway hit beyond anything that I expected. And no one knew that those could really happen on the internet quite like that, like the mm-hmm. runaway blog that was very successful. Looking back, I mean, if you put yourself in that time frame, it's pretty niche it's yeah. not celebrity gossip 
I mean, it turns out that there are a lot of people sitting at their desks at their jobs, feeling very distracted by the web and all the, the little things, <laughs> and want to figure out ways to optimize their life, and really believe, and to some degree, I still believe this, that they can systematize common tasks that they have to perform over and over in a way that frees them up for bigger and better things or saves them time. It also feels good, right? You feel like MacGyver for a second. Yeah, and yeah. you just feel like, you, oh, wow, you know what? I just did something slick. Yeah, well, and very just... often it's about getting something horrible like your email into something sensible like a to-do list. Right, right, like every day my email stresses me out and I don't know what to do. I'm missing emails. I'm getting in trouble with my boss. Like give me a system to deal with my email. I mean, right. that was like, you know, years of just talking about. And Merlin, Merlin got in on that. I mean, Merlin Mann. Yeah, Merlin Mann did his Inbox Zero talk, which is, which is amazing. Just talking about email organization uh, strategies still, was a thing. People still talk about this today. Right, oh, so yeah. there's this point in, in the 2000s, there's a big information overload. There's all this stuff happening with the web. And there's a very small core of people. And it, it became a, almost like a pop culture tech moment. And I guess it sort of started to reach out outside of technology, right? Like, now, were you in the whole – there's a whole scene around the um, getting things done mm-hmm. approach. Yeah. I, I read the book. I appreciated the book. I wrote a lot about the techniques discussed in the book. You know, getting things done is great, and I've interviewed David Allen. It's aimed toward uh, older corporate dudes who wear suits and have assistants. And so I think a lot of the work that I did was sort of translating that for, like, your, you know, run-of-the-mill knowledge worker who's sitting in the open layout and, you know, needed to get their TPS report together. That's interesting, though. Nobody really talks about that. Like for, Interesting. So, I didn't know that because yeah. I've never read it. I didn't know it was geared towards that. But I it makes know, sense. It's for the executive. Right? It is yeah. It is for the executive, exactly. You're an overwhelmed executive. Get this book and get everyone around you on the folder system. Yes. So you are an advocate for personal productivity. Yeah, I, I would say so. Here's what I would observe about you. I know a lot of people who talk about productivity quite a bit. From the very first days that you were on this beat, you have gotten your stuff done. Like there's a lot of productivity books that never were finished, that were announced and never finished, which is a bad <laughs> sign for a productivity book. You've written two? Uh, three editions of the Life Hacker book. Right. And I did in a, another book about something else. What was the other book about? It was about a product called Google Wave. Beautiful product. Do you miss Google Wave? <laughs> I don't. I mean, I probably would have sold more books if it had stuck around. Yeah. Let's pause and tell everyone what Google Wave was. Well... Gina can tell you. Can you do it in a sentence? Yeah. Google Wave was a product that Google released in 2009 that aimed to replace email and chat and document editing, or at least combine all of those activities into one plug-in, pluggable platform. Got it. Seems like we're back there today. Are we there today? With Slack There's and... There's so many products that have, like, aspects of Wave baked into them. Oh, you know, I mean, when Google Docs, you know, introduced live typing, where you can watch your collaborators' cursors move across the page and edit. That was something they demoed originally in Google Wave and blew everybody's mind at 2009 Google I.O. I mean, that was, like, amazing that you could watch live typing in, in the web browser. Now Docs has that. We're seeing it with Slack. We're seeing it with FlowDoc. Google Docs is commenting features and uh, embedding polls and things. Those are all, you know, come from Google Wave. So let me ask you a question. If... It was launched today, and, and with a, like a modernized interface. If somebody took the same feature set, launched it today, do you think it would find users? No, I don't. I don't. Not without radically reimagined marketing. Oh, okay. I mean, I, I, wrote, a book. I, I wrote a book on this thing, and, yeah. I, and I just told you what it was in a sentence, and you both looked at me like I had three heads. Like there, there was just, the, the product never explained itself. 
Uh, I mean, the tagline was like, you know, this is the end of email. So everyone's like, cool. But it wa- it wasn't that. It wasn't chat. It wasn't document editing. It was a little bit of those things. But, you know, there's an element to it, too. I remember using it. And, and just like I didn't have enough people in my network. Right. Now, if you bootstrapped it on top, like if I take my Twitter social graph or everyone who's at postlight.com or whatever, it's pretty easy to get into a collaborative space. Yeah. And Wave, it was just like, oh, I'm here alone. Yeah. I mean, Google squandered their biggest opportunity. It was like they're, they're launching a Google product. A bunch of people rushed in. There was It was invites. It was this yeah. scarcity. People really wanted in. You felt special if you were in. But if someone sent you a wave, you had to be in wave to get it. Like there were no email notifications right. like on initial launch. Uh, so, so so, you got into Google Wave. I did. I got into it because I thought the technology was really, really cool. And it, I got very excited to see that happening in a web browser. So we're back to, again, the fact that most products, I mean, who knows? You can throw some random percentage, right? Even at enormous scale, even with tons of resources behind them. And actually, you know... It, Later, we'd see this again with Google+. Sometimes it just doesn't work. You can put the absolute best people, the best resources, the best idea. It doesn't, it doesn't happen. Know. Yeah, it just and, doesn't happen. Well, and Google just has a couple of – they're just kind of tone deaf around, around certain things, particularly social, I would say. I don't even think that you saying that is – it Shocking. feels like that's objectively <laughs> demonstrable, right? Yes. Like Google, Google, Google Buzz. Plus, Buzz Google was a, Plus. Buzz Google was an amazing disaster. Yes. That was like their sort of Twitter baked in email thingy. Yes. Right? But you know, you're right. They never got social. No. Do you have any sense of why as an outside observer? I mean, I think they were, they were chasing Facebook's taillights from the beginning. And I, I mean, I think Google's really good at building utilities. Right. right? So it's like and Bing versus Google. Like Microsoft is like, we can do that. Yes. Yeah. Right. You just get exactly. this. You have this massive amount of resource. It's like Microsoft when they said they had to go into search. When you have that much at your disposal, you just walk up to the roulette table and you put a chip on every number. Sure, why not? You just have to. You yeah. actually, it's not even a why not. It's like you have to. We have to be present in this space and that space. Well, especially space. in lack of a, when you don't have a specific, like Apple had that specific product strategy around like three product lines. You yeah. Know? Right. And then everything that wasn't in there just kind of got thrown out of the company brutally. Right. Actually, Apple, I think, is kind of distinct from, you know, a company like Microsoft where it's, you're telling me, look, search is taking over the world. And you say, well, how much is it going to cost? And it turns out it's only a dollar out of the $1,000 that you have. You're like, well, go do it. And then they mm-hmm. have to mobilize a team of 2000 out of 50000 Right. And they just go do it. They and don't. that doesn't mean they're going to do it well. I think when a company is, its DNA leads right back to the, the core thing that made it what it was, like a Google is defined by search. Right. It, it defines it. it. When you say Google, you mean search. So when you tell Google to go make a car, you have to wall that off and do it over there. And, and even and not even search. You would, you would almost say like accessing information, right? Like right. Microsoft is exactly. about corporate productivity. Exactly. Apple has been about experience from day zero down to the wires. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, so let's go back. So you became a writer. Did you stop programming? I mean, Life Hacker explodes. You're in the middle of Life it. Life Hacker explodes. I was the solo kind of the sole blogger there for a while, like the first nine months. And yeah, I stopped doing anything except writing posts. It was like twelve posts a day. Right. It was an incredibly fast pace. Right. That was it was bulk. I mean, that was it the thing. It was. And I'm a perfectionist, so like I you know, every typo would just kill me a little bit inside. So I would go back and fix it and So you stay on this as writer. Mm-hmm. See my recollection of Life Hacker, I just imagined I wasn't visiting it every day. I would get links, and, and I mm-hmm. imagine it was 10 writers. 
Yeah, I mean, at some point it probably was. I think at our largest we were like seven people. So it okay. was, you know, so it'd be like four growing. or five bloggers, a couple of copy editors, some community people. Once we got comments, that you know, community yeah. moderators became very necessary. So we we grew pretty fast. At the end of the first nine months, I was like, I need I need help. So uh, wait, you jumped on this because at any point you could have said, "This is great, congratulations, I'm a coder." Yeah. Like this is really great. I'm, I'll, I'll help well, you get this on his feet. But I'm gonna go. Co- I need to go back to my craft. There actually wasn't a ton of great work for programmers like floating around at that exact moment. Hmm. And this was interesting. Like I mean, yeah. it wasn't like somebody was sitting there like they are now with a huge like a, a sheaf of cash, just yeah. like going, "Hey, programmer." Well, so you loved it. I mean, this I, was you didn't do someone a favor here. This no, was a, this is something I, that was your own. I loved it, and Gawker had set up this. You know, they'd really sort of gamified <laughs> yeah. the whole thing for you because I I became uh, or like addicted to the attention. Oh, that I dopamine would, I had rush. I had yeah. the site meter chart embedded as a like a widget on my Windows desktop, so I could see the traffic build like through the day. <laughs> and we got paid like we at one point there were many different pay structures. At one point though, we got paid based on page views, and you know, dig like you know. We could have a front page of Dig, and there would be this huge spike in traffic. And I derived a great deal of satisfaction from the idea that, like, thousands of people were looking at my stuff every day. It was totally this, like, ego thing. You know, I was an English major in college. Like, my dream was actually to be a writer. The, the programming thing happened, like, as a matter of practicality. Like, mm, this seems like a sensible thing that would pay me a salary. Um, so I felt like I, I'm living the dream. Like, the web has enabled me to become a writer, even though on some level I didn't think I was a real writer because it wasn't on paper. Isn't that amazing? But, you know, yeah. Which is pretty yeah, amazing because yeah. then when I actually did publish my book, I was like, I didn't hear from anyone about no, this. No, no one ever. No read, one no, ever yeah. said a word. Which because I was used to a hundred people, you know, chiming in on a post. So I loved it, and I became absolutely addicted to to the, the site and the growth of the site, and the um, you know just the pace of the work and hearing from so many people every day was great. I mean, I didn't sleep a lot, but I loved it. Hmm. So it's just you, twelve posts a day. Yeah, at first. Mm-hmm. How many years did you do that? Uh, so that was like the first nine months and we started hiring people. Okay. But w- I hired a team over time. Even then... there, like having a team on a blog was a big deal. Yeah, yeah. Because blogs were supposed to be one person. Right, well, Boing it's Boing you. was a group blog. That's right. And Metafilter always called itself a community blog. I never, yeah. I always saw it more as a forum. But right, group blogs were uncommon. But you know, at this point, Gawker's growing out their whole stable, right? Like they've right. got like Gawker and Gizmodo and then Lifehacker and, and you know, an io9 and Deadspin. Lifehacker launched on the same day as the travel site, which didn't make it. Grid Skipper. Grid Skipper. Yes, me and Andrew Krukoff. That's right. Andrew, I apologize if I Hi, mispronounced Andrew. that. How are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Um, so they were growing out their stable, and there was lots Do of cross-posting to... and all that stuff. Okay. So there's a point in time when you decide, well, I don't know how it goes. They could have said, oh, my God, I can't believe you posted that, Gina. We need to let you go. Or <laughs> That's it could have been... All right, I think I've done my gig here. It's time to move on, et cetera. So, so how does how does Lifehacker end for you? Well, Lifehacker is still around. That's worth, it's it's uh, still around, noting. doing great, yeah, and very successful. But. It was just this like very fertile time where people were building like little apps and releasing little apps and stuff was coming out. I mean, what year Lifehacker is this? started. Sorry to interrupt. But. Well, Lifehacker started in two thousand five, so like before the iPhone, before Firefox, before uh, mm. apps. I mean. And things like Delicious were getting launched by, like, you know, just regular programmer types. We're like, I'm going to throw something up on the web. Joshua Schachter. Joshua Schachter. And that Delicious became huge. Very exciting time. And then APIs started to become the programmable web became the thing. Everything had an API. Flickr had an API. And Twitter had an API. And, you know, I would write about all these cool things that people were making every day. And every day there was this voice in my head that was like, if I had time, I I have 15 ideas that I'd like to build. 
So yeah, so I got to a place where I thought, you know what, I've done everything that I can do here. And now I want to build stuff. Instead of writing about stuff that other people are building, I want to build stuff. So I was a very amicable departure. And this was in 2009. And I was a feature, I was like a weekly feature writer there for a while. Adam Pash, who was my my senior writer took over and he did great. And so, yeah, it was, a, it was all good. Very smooth. But, but yeah, I decided that I it was time. I had had my taste of, you know, a million, million page view posts and I'm like ready to now build something that's not a web page and not worry about page views every day as a measure of my success. You really did represent significant traffic at a moment when there wasn't a ton of significant traffic. Like a million page view posts are now just sort of like a normal BuzzFeed day for like something mildly viral. But yeah. That was colossal and yeah. weird. And it was weird that it was about nerd stuff. That's what I remember just sort of being like, oh, wow, what's happening in this world? Is this actually pop culture now? I mean, like an article like how to jailbreak your iPhone would just do and – and we were great with SEO because that's exactly what people type into the Google search well, box. And they became evergreens. Like it just yes. – they would just hang out and hang out. Mm-hmm. But you also did stuff like how to get that stain out of your shirt, no? Yeah. I mean, you know, we would do these like household tips. I, yeah. Somebody made a joke recently that, that – um, <laughs> She was telling her mom about Soylent, and the mom was like, isn't that just slim fast? And the woman was like, well, but it's made by men for men, so it's technology, and it's called Soylent. <laughs> While Life Acts was like, here are like the household tips that you would have found in women's magazines for decades, right? right? But like it's called Life Hacks, and it's for guys, so like this is new and, and innovative technology. Right? Oh, my God. So how to so, fold a shirt and how to get, you know, the red wine stain out of your shirt or how, how to open a beer bottle with a piece of paper. Like these were really right. exciting, big, popular posts. So you you went off to make things. I did. And what have you – do you want to talk about the things you made? Do you want to talk about the things you learned? What well, did you learn about making things? Well, let me, let me ask about that first. I mean, you've been away for a bit. Mm-hmm. See, I have. I mean, just yes. – I've been, I've been more or less – either driving product groups or running businesses and telling myself I'm going to come back to coding. Since you were 11 years old. Forever. And Mm -hmm. if I go back now, I'm going to feel uh, there's a sense of being a novice coming back into the world. Nobody wants you programming. Well, nobody wants me doing a lot of things. But yes. But the thing is, it's, you know, that satisfaction of building is unique, right? And... Tell me how that experience was. I mean, coming, deciding, all right, you know what? I'm going to roll up my sleeves. We're going to do this. Well, I had during Life Hacker's, uh, you know, course of doing Life Hacker, had managed to squeeze a budget, a programming budget out of Denton to be like, hey, there are little bookmarklets and maybe Firefox extensions, maybe a bash script here and there that we could release right here on Life Hacker. That would be a, that would be, a, you know, an exclusive download. And he was like, all right. So Adam Pash and I both, like, like I was building, I was building little one-off things, okay. like a bookmarklet or a, you know, okay. a, a, so fire, a Firefox extension. A bit I was exercising my muscles a bit. I released a, a, a script called To Do Text, which is a product I still maintain and that the community contributed to. So I, I had kept the wheels kind of greased. But listen, I'll tell you, my first week, I was enchanted with Twitter at the time. The Twitter API was getting a lot of, a lot of, you know, I was hearing a lot about that. I went out and bought the O'Reilly book, like the, you know, getting started with Twitter API, you know, and I copied and pasted code, which was in PHP and used the XML version mm-hmm. of the, of the, which was a sad choice. Gina and, made and, eye contact with me when she said XML. I yes. did. I did. Oh. I, I did. just looked down. I didn't want to be involved. <laughs> no. <laughs> and I started from there, right? Like I copy and pasted a bunch of code and then I started messing with it, right? 
this is the real programmers do this. Like, I feel like people are like, I'm not a real programmer. That's how I work. No, re, that's how real programmers yeah. work too. So they just, I mean, the concept of in. real is, is disaster in all of our lives. Yeah, no, but I did, I got really rusty. Like during that time, like JavaScript became the language mm-hmm. and I missed that. Like I was stuck in like the Python PHP time and then I was like writing Lifehacker and then suddenly I came out of Lifehacker and was like, oh, everyone's writing JavaScript everywhere. Like, this is the thing? Well, the yeah. reality is when that happened, everyone who had been around for a while was like, really? JavaScript? Yeah. Because it was, it was so bad for so long. Yeah. And so difficult to work with. And, it, and you had to know a little bit, and it just broke in every possible way. Window dot open. Yeah. That was the extent of my, yeah, like, how do I pop this window without any Chrome? Oh, okay. And it was just a bad, ugly situation. And There's some, inconsistency. Oh, just, yeah. just The browsers all line up now, but there was a day where it was, you'd have to have all kinds of separate logic for different browsers. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was unbelievable. It actually just goes to show that like people want what they want. Like they wanted the web browser and JavaScript came with it. And then, I mean, how many billions of dollars now have gone into making JavaScript better? Yeah. And how many, you know, millions and millions of person hours. So yeah. If you, if you include the frameworks. Madness. Yeah. It's madness. I dive in there every now and then and I'm just like, whoa. It's yeah, a like big what happened? Surface. Yeah. Okay, so you're out there back in the world. Mm-hmm. You got todo.txt, which is an Android app. Um, there's an Android app, an iOS app, and a command line app. Okay. And actually, a, a bunch of community web-based versions and desktop-based versions. It's an open source app, so a bunch of community uh, members have made Sublime Text plugin. It's it's really spawned. A bunch and of I things. can go download that now on my phone. Yeah, phone. yeah. Okay. To do text now. Mm-hmm. Still has a community going. Yeah, yeah. I I admit I've been a little bit absent. So some folks have taken over, but uh, just because I, I does everything I needed to do. And this is worth talking about. What happens? Because I have this. I started this thing accidentally one night called Tilda Club. I yes. just booted up a Unix server and told people they could have accounts. And there's like a thousand accounts that on it. That was crazy, Paul. It was really fun. And people made web pages and it was old school and it was cool. And it's still kind of out there running. And I, I can't, like, what happens when you lose interest in your own product? You know, when I see people come into the Unix you know, mailing list, like, this is the coolest idea ever. I'm like, yeah, like, you are mentally where I was 10 years ago. It's 10 years old right. this June. And I appreciate that. But I, I do not just, I just don't have that enthusiasm about, about it anymore, you know, because okay. like, I've, I've seen it through. And, and it's tricky. I'm still trying to figure out, like, the iOS app has really sort of fallen into disrepair. And now it's just, like, kind of embarrassing. Like, now there's an app out there that, like, I'm clearly not maintaining. So I think it's a graceful thing where you just have to kind of hand it off to a community member who has the energy. The tricky the part is that if your situation is like mine, there's no single point of communication where you can go, hey, everybody, I just thought I'd check in. This person's going to be deputized. You know, there's no process yeah. for that. You can't just like run out and be like, I better let the iOS people know and the Android people know. And so right. I'm like, these projects and these ideas get spread all out. And, and to get the clarity that you need, you can't simply like issue a press release. It becomes yeah, a... True. So, and nobody undertakes to start a project and leaves channels whereby they can resign. <laughs> Well, also, right. I think you consciously want to move on. Like, it was fun, but the high of the launching is, it yeah. and it working, it goes away pretty fast. I mean, obviously, you could have a, an insane roadmap and have something very ambitious, but very often, you're kind of done. There mm-hmm. are features you want to add to it, but you're... You're already thinking about the next thing you want to. You, you just do. you can't muster the enthusiasm. Yeah. You can't, and there's no external carrot. Like there's no. no... So, I mean, that's part of the genius of GitHub is that yes. it isn't just organized storage, so to speak, but it's also a communication means 
that allows it to be you know managed because there's consistency in how things are put away versus like oh it's just over here in box.com or whatever right. box.net and people <laughs> you know? can fork it and do what they, exactly. they want to do with it yeah. exactly there's a set of actions that are consistent across projects so you built a few fairly big things couple what what were those lots of little things and a couple of big things well when i bought that o'reilly book i started writing the php script which eventually turned into an app called ThinkUp, mm-hmm. which i then my co-founder anil dash and i turned into software as a service because it was it was this like web app that you'd install on your web host similar to wordpress.org and mm-hmm. as it turns out not a lot of people have web hosts these days and you know you'd have to get a bunch of api keys and whatnot. so we launched it uh, as a service software as a service under our company called ThinkUp as well and that's been a subscription service for a couple a couple of years now. We did the I'm a subscriber. Thing. And I you, like you it. are yeah. a subscriber. Yes, you are. You've been a big supporter. So yeah, ThinkUp is good. Mm-hmm. And then um, we built this site called MakerBase. Okay. Recently, this is one of Anil's ideas. It's like a, an IMDb for apps or websites. It's a user editable directory of projects and people. And, and in many ways, it's like an homage to this time where people were just hacking a little thing, you know, on the weekends. You know, it's, it's, it's meant to, unlike something like Crunchbase, it's meant to encompass art projects and side projects and just kind of little, you know, we, you, Paul and I spent the weekend together hacking together a, a Chrome extension and, like, here it is. It's the movie model. You don't have to start a company right. and do right. all the housekeeping around. Right. There's actually no companies actually, in MakerBase. Four people can get together and do a thing. And just do a thing. Yeah, it's about collaborations. And now... You are here. Now I'm at Postlight. How did you prepare yourself to go back to full-time work? <laughs> and this is not to say you haven't been working. You've probably been working way, way more than full-time. Gina works hard. No, but I mean, just, <laughs> when you're working for yourself... Yeah, you're, time, you're just basically working all the you're time. You're just kind of always working. So yeah. now you're, you're... We're not quite nine to five, but we're actually very close. Mm-hmm. How did you prepare yourself? Well, it's actually very fortuitous that my start date was right around tax time because I was reminded about how annoying it is to do your taxes when you are like have a company and a bunch of freelance. Like I'm so excited about the it's idea the of like yeah. a, you just get a, a, a uniform <laughs> paycheck like on a regular schedule with all my. That's going to be amazing. That's I'm glad. Give I'm, us a minute though, Gina. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'm also that I, is part of the deal. Totally. This, that was part of the deal, right? The regular. <laughs> yes. That's definitely a reason to take a job for everyone who's out there. Like just you know, one piece of paper at tax time. That's our recruiting strategy for engineering. <laughs> on a very practical level, there's that. But on a bigger like philosophical level is, you know, I've been running a two-person company now for two years. And I, I definitely have a little bit of lone wolf in me. Like I, I enjoyed having my name on a thing and having the control and having it be up to me and getting to make all the decisions. But the truth is that it's slow. It's slow. You just you can get so much more done when you're collaborating with other people who know more than you do, who know different things than you do. And I did get to the place where I was like, I want to learn. I want to work with other developers and learn. Like I was kind of the person that was like, this is how we're going to do it. But I wonder how other people are doing it. You know, like when Mark and I collaborated on Kinja, that was that was an amazing uh, collaboration for me where I just grew so much. I'll admit to a moment of true pride because Gina was in our chat software flow doc and just asked like i've heard that there's some people here in this chat that can help me get up to speed on node.js which is a javascript server-side programming environment and i just read the thread there were you know a bunch of people just jumped right in and they were like here's the stuff let me get you some links that was amazing andy over here is also learning and, and just for me like that was i was really hopeful we'd hit that kind of culture 
And I think yeah. you, you've built environments like this in the past, but it's the first time where I'm like, this is a company that can figure stuff out as it goes. And it yeah. also requires a lot of vulnerability. You just showed up and you're a pretty serious senior engineer in our organization. I thought about that. Yeah. I, I felt pretty vulnerable and but, I didn't know when everyone was like, okay, here's, you know, this is where you should start. And it, there was no judgment. There was yeah. lots of helping like right away. It was great. That's good. You got to be able to come in and learn the new stuff because it's such an enormous, ridiculous industry. It is. I have, I really have accepted that I, I used to feel worried. Like I can't call myself a real programmer because I don't know all the new things. You, I'm never going to know all the new things. And that, you got to embrace okay. that. I mean, never gonna you have n- to be knowing okay what with you don't that. know. Yeah. And just knowing what you don't know is yeah. cool. I was totally fine with being like, you know what? I don't have any experience with Node. And let me tell you something. Node's pretty cool. I've just spent the last day or so working mm-hmm. with Node and I feel, you know, like I, I know what's going on. Oh, there's, there's 36,000 amazing frameworks that you're going to get to learn. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, we hope you're happy. We will do a Day happy four. check-in on, yeah. in podcast number 28. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Should we end every podcast with "Is Gina happy?" <laughs> and that'll that'll go. Other employees will love that. Yeah, be yeah. Really let's, let's cycle through the the team. You know it's a team do. effort. Do you already feel like there's a little bit of a target? You know, because you're the new person, you got your shoulders hunched a little bit. <laughs> hi, <laughs> hi. <laughs> well, Gina, you're here. You better get back to work. <laughs> I'll we do should that. probably get back to work. We should get back. Everybody needs to get back to work promptly. Yes. But thank you for awesome. doing this today. Thanks for having me. It's, it's awesome. great. You you went from guest to employee. That's never happened before. I, yeah. I know. That was a pretty good trajectory. All future guests of this podcast will eventually become employees. Will eventually become employees. Do you need to hire them before they appear? Uh, you know, I haven't thought it through, frankly. This is a marketing vehicle. We yeah. can throw certain ethics to the sidelines. Yeah. Just kidding. I think, you know, this is good enough stuff that we didn't need to stop apologizing for it to be a marketing vehicle. I think it's the real deal. I like to just remind people that yeah. we're a company that they should give money to <laughs> rather than their podcast entertainment. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, Gina, thank you so much for coming Thanks, on our Gina. show. Thanks and a lot. onto our team. We'll check up on you on GitHub later. Cool. See you then. <laughs> thank you. Thanks. Well... Rich, that was cool. That was great. Yeah. Enjoyed it. Again, I have a fear that we sound like oldies radio, so I'm just going to say the word SpaceX. SpaceX is real good. Uh, What else are kids really into? BuzzFeed. Are kids into BuzzFeed? Uh, YouTube stars. Minecraft mods. Flash games. Thanks for joining us. Bye-bye. That's the worst outro ever. (laughs) 